the Sports Business Strategy Podcast, a podcast so niche we had to resort to getting St. Lucia to be our official country. I'm Will Item. I'm Armand Alawalia. And thank you for joining us for episode three of the pod. Armand, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. You know, it's uh, it's really exciting when, you know, you've got still St. Lucia, still, uh, still providing some viewership. We've... <laughs> We've now got the Czech Republic and South Africa added to the list. So every new country, I get I get more and more excited. However, however, I will say I got a couple of things I got I got to get off my chest here. I'm concerned that our listenership in Iowa is you know it doesn't exist or Minnesota. So I don't, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm I'm a little disappointed. Well, as a Nebraskan, I can say with 100% conviction that Iowans, we don't need you. Stay away from this podcast. I mean, Armand, you know what Iowa stands for, right? I don't, but go ahead, fill me in. Idiots out walking around. Yes, no, I think I knew that. Yeah, I love the people of Iowa. I actually went to uh, I went to an Iowa Hawkeyes game with a with a former intern of mine, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, my mom is an Iowan, so actually, I should say that Exit ninety seven on I eighty Dexter Iowa is a Saintville of a town. Uh, Everywhere else in Iowa, it's trash. If you're listening, Iowa, stop the podcast right now. Go back to your tractors. Well, would they would they be able to have the podcast technology if they're on their tractor? I don't know. Maybe not. They may not have any signal. <laughs> well, I was quick. You're already trashing on Iowa. I, I know. I know. I don't. I don't know much about Iowa other than they're great people and they're really, really nice. That is debatable. Kidding aside, we're really excited. Again, people continue to keep tuning in. All in all, it's been it's been pretty exciting. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I do. Well, if we keep talking about all the places our listeners are from, I fear we're going to beat the St. Lucia joke into the ground by episode five. So I think we may have scared them off by now. I think. Well, if that's the case, uh, let me just get some St. Lucia sports facts out of the way. For instance, Armand, did you know that the Windward Islands cricket team includes players from St. Lucia and uh-huh. they play in the West Indies Regional Tournament? There you go. Darren Sammy, of course, became the first St. Lucian to represent the West Indies on his debut in 2007 and since 2010 has captained the side. But I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Of course. I'm a huge cricket fan. So, of course, you know, how, how can I not get excited about Darren Sammy? That guy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Moving on, for all you sailing enthusiasts, the annual Atlantic Rally for Cruisers, or ARC race as we all know it as, begins in the Canary Islands and ends in St. Lucia. This, of course, is a race that all Nebraskans know far too well. Is there a lot of sailing in Nebraska? What does the Nebraskan sailing team look like? Are they are they perennials? No, of course not. <laughs> Honestly, we're we're a lot like Iowa. Uh, we just farm. There is no sailing. <laughs> Same in Manitoba. Not a lot of sailors in Manitoba where I'm from. It's pretty landlocked. Yeah, yeah. We we farm and we root on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. That's about it. This season, they've not been very good, have they? <laughs> this year? Ah, yeah. Try this decade. Oh, gosh. Well, sorry to bring up a sore subject there, but... Uh... Yes, the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers are the ones who convinced me that it is healthier to be a fan of sports business than sports teams. But, uh... Let's stop talking about the Oscars. Uh, how about you? I know one of the things that listeners had mentioned is uh, maybe give a little bit more of a personal background about ourselves. So where's your fandom lie? Yeah. So funny enough, I actually grew up a Broncos fan because in Canada, there are no NFL teams. And so 
NFL is probably my favorite sport. Uh, so on top of, you know, but, but when I, when I moved to Kansas city, all that fandom disappeared for the Broncos very, very quickly. Um, just again, proves how, how, how great it is down here. However, outside of football, you know, I'm pretty much a Raptors, Blue Jays and Winnipeg Jets fan across the board. So that's kind of where my allegiance is like, I know you are a Dolphins fan. Was right? a Dolphins fan. Was a Dolphins yes, fan, my bad. was a Dolphins fan. That was, though, earlier in my 20s when I realized that it's really hard to connect with a team that is thousands of miles away and, you know, doesn't do any activations because I'm outside of their DMA. So all that said, let's pivot to America's favorite recurring segment. What's going on? As long as we're not making any money, we can't get sued. So, Armand, what's going on? One of the things that caught my eye actually this past week was the NBA released their schedules. I am familiar. Correct, yes. And obviously in a shortened, the unusual season again that's going to be for the NBA, you know, it caught me thinking about What's the best way to do it? It seems like it's a very uh, well-produced affair, not only for the NBA. I know the NFL does a lot of very high production value schedule releases. So before I jump in here, or before I have you jump in, you know, the Utah Jazz kind of stood out to me a little bit. They had a small sponsor integration in there as well, but it was also creative, kind of had a bit of a, a 90s type feel vibe to it. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, I love schedule release videos. It always feels like this secret society of creative people who try to one-up each other every year with who can grab the most eyeballs and retweets and break the mold by redefining what a schedule release should be. But if this is a strategy podcast, then I have to say that for the most part, I'm not sure I get it. You know, it is a tremendous piece of content, but I get a sense around all the leagues and this is not specific to any one league, uh, that they tend to hang their hats on that piece of content longer than it's actually viral on the internet. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say is better explained by talking about an exception to the norm, which was from a couple years back with the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I do remember what the Chicago Bears did. That was very innovative, and I remember seeing it throughout their entire season on social media. Exactly, and that's what I loved. Their schedule release was tied around a comic book theme. All of their opponents were sketched out as comic book monsters, and as a piece of content, it was good. But the great part about it was that the content wasn't just a piece on its own, but rather a piece of an overall marketing strategy. You know, they reference the comic book theme throughout the 2018 season. So the long-term vision behind the schedule release is really what resonated with me. And I'd love to see more schedule releases manage the duality of being both viral content and also part of an overall marketing campaign. I think you made a really good point there, which was, what is the point, right? A schedule release at the end of the day is to tell your fans when the games are and who the opponents are going to be. Now, obviously in COVID kind of era, that's going to change potentially. And we've already seen that in the NFL, the NBA, they've been schedules that have been adjusted. 
schedule release used to be something you'd put on your window or not your window, your fridge, right? And you would just put it there. I think what's kind of the point is that if you're going to spend all this time for it to be maybe looked at over a three or two to three day period, how much time and investment should you spend on that? Or could the schedule release be part of a larger strategy of here's what we're doing for the season. Here's what our theme looks like. Here are our new colors, our, our scheme, et cetera. This is what we're going to do to tell the story this year, I think could be kind of a, a new perspective on it. And I just want to make clear that if you cannot find a way to tie the schedule to your overall marketing campaign, or maybe you were uh, short on time to do so, that is completely fine with me. Just give me the videos. I love them to death. They're amazing. The creativity is off the charts. All these production teams are really extremely creative people. But how do you take that message and amplify it for longer than just a three-day period where people are retweeting it, journalists, you know, maybe a larger network picks it up or something? How do you amplify that out across a larger stage and really have a, a solid strategy around it, I think is the bigger question. Absolutely. And this has been another edition of What's Going On? What's going on? All right, let's get into our interview with Tyler Franz. Absolutely. But before we do, I must give out a couple of disclaimers. Number one being that this interview is sponsored by the Courtyard Marriott, three blocks from my house, because I was without power for seven straight days in OKC, and I had nowhere else to record. So thank you, Courtyard Marriott. Yes, I believe you had a ice storm going on, which forbids you from having power in your house, correct? Yes, we had a devastating ice storm in OKC. At least 600,000 people were without power for about a week, if not more. So by day seven, I was pretty loopy combined with spotty Wi-Fi at the Courtyard Marriott. So thank you, Armand, for carrying the interview. Well, you know, I, I won't say I carried all of it because I think this is, it's fair to say it was 50-50. I will say, Will, you have shown complete determination to get this podcast on, on the air. So kudos to you for, for sticking it through and at the end of your illustrious hotel stay. What I lack in professionalism at a Courtyard Marriott, I make up for in the post-production editing suite. All right. End of disclaimers. Now, I really enjoyed this conversation with my friend Tyler, not only because he's a good interview, but also because it allowed us to expand this strategy podcast beyond just sponsorship or revenue uh, and focus on someone who just really loves data. Exactly, right? So this is the business intelligence side of the space instead of being just on the sponsorship. Tyler offers some unique perspectives and a unique way of looking at things. So we're really lucky to have him. You know, he touches on Python and R. So for those data data nerds and people that are really excited about that, this uh, this is probably the episode for you. Right. So if you're a data nerd or a St. Lucian, keep listening. If you're from Iowa, get off this podcast. I mean it. We do not want you. Everyone else, enjoy. All right, and joining us on the pod today, it is our Director of Business Intelligence for FC Cincinnati, Tyler Franz. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Will. Absolutely. Uh, well, Tyler, we always give you a nice little softball question at the beginning to make it easy for you. For those who aren't familiar with your 
uh, background. Why don't you give us a taste of uh, where you got started and how you got to be where you are now in Cincinnati? Yeah. So after graduating at the University of South Carolina, I started off at uh, the Charlotte Hornets with in the BI department and then ended up going to SBJ for a little bit before uh, FC Cincinnati finally poached me to start their BI department there. All right. So you've been with FC Cincinnati for about 11 months or so now. Uh, one thing that Armand and I are noticing with everyone that we talk to is everybody's strategy and business intelligence teams are different from league to league and from team to team, just how it's being built out. So what does the structure look like uh, at FC Cincinnati for the business intelligence team? So from the top down, the unique thing is we are actually part of the um, executive administration staff. So report directly to the C-suite, which some teams, when they start their BI departments, they'll go to ticket sales or something and then grow out from there. So over the years, but with FC Cincinnati, one of the things that brought me on was they wanted that different approach. So it could be more horizontal working with different departments. But uh, aside from that, we are currently a department of one. So hoping to grow that in the near future, but COVID obviously has put a halt on that. That's very interesting that you mentioned one of the draws to FC Cincinnati was the ability to, you know, almost, you know, go directly to the C-suite. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that where at the Charlotte Hornets, Chris Zeppenfeld was, is, is a VP level, which I think, you know, I heard him at a conference a couple of years ago talking about how having that exec person that's going to have that top-down um, impact really does help the business intelligence have a seat at the table. How has that been for you at FC Cincinnati in terms of getting what you guys are working on to the front of the table, to the top of the leadership to make impactful decisions? Yeah. So Zepp had, was one of my mentors, obviously, being my boss at the Hornets. And he did a great job of explaining to me really uh, what he was brought in to do, which at the time he was brought in to start in the ticketing department, really built out their CRM system. And so just hearing from that and how he grew and where I had gotten to the Hornets at the point was um, already when they had branched out to other departments and starting to grow and seeing how much more impactful that was, especially when you compare to all across sports where BI is, is they're really working more laterally across the organization rather than just in one department. And that's very interesting. Yeah, I believe Chris nicknames himself the czar of CRM. So <laughs> that that tracks there very well. So I guess w with that lateral kind of perspective, and you know, maybe, maybe the Hornets are a little bit further down the road than maybe where you are currently in FC Cincinnati. What are some of the successes that have been attributed to the current structure in, in how you've set it up? So the biggest thing is instead of being siloed into ticket sales, what's really helped, especially like oddly enough with COVID coming into play is we've been preparing for our new stadium opening. And so immediately I've been thrown into working with partnerships and marketing. Whereas if we followed the other setup, I'd still be more siloed into ticket sales and focused on, okay, how do we set pricing for the new stadium, whatever else. But now I'm working on a larger brand strategy in these other perspectives instead. Right. So with your involvement with multiple departments, let's rewind the tape a little bit where it's December, 2019, you're the first hire in business intelligence. FC Cincinnati just finished up its first season in the MLS. I imagine there are a lot of projects that will probably take three to five years to fully execute, but what's first on the docket? What are you focusing on? First few months were spent uh, really just evaluating the situation I was in. Um, it's a bit different than coming in as an analyst and really working up the ranks where you're learning one piece of the organization at a time. 
the idea is you come in as more of an expert of all these areas and try to help. So really when you go in at the higher level, you have to assess where everything is currently and then figure out, okay, what are the pain points? How do I grow this from here? And so the first step was really getting a data warehouse set up and then trying to work the pieces of the puzzle from there. So that way you can get to the things like where people aren't living off of a hundred different Excel sheets saying, here's my projection and here's mine. It's how do you get to that one true number and then go from there to uh, assess the different areas. And for us, even though it started with ticket sales, it really expanded into the other pieces for partnerships and marketing from there. So you mentioned data warehousing and obviously, you know, data warehousing is a very complex, complicated process. How has that been received internally, knowing that, you know, the data warehouse is a long-term project with the intent that there might be some more short-term things that you've been trying to focus? So how have you been either splitting your time or kind of messaging that this data warehouse will help us get to it, if you can kind of almost trust me? The hardest part about the data warehouse is that when you're working with non-technical people is the abstractness of it. Like everybody wants to talk about it and everybody talks about data and all this stuff, but it's really in the sense that, okay, yes, this exists and I have my own Excel sheet or they have theirs or whatever, but that data warehouse, the key to that is honestly uh, getting your reports up in visualization so that way people can see the impact and start going to those reports. And when they ask you questions, if you have the reports set up right, you can push them there to explore and ask you more questions where you can in turn continue the conversation. So you talk about the uh, the visualizations that you present to others so that they can understand the data better. Uh, one thing we're always curious from organization to organization are the tools that you use to help bring these visualizations to life or how you can help communicate with other departments. I'm just kind of curious, what kind of uh, vendors or what software programs have you found have been really beneficial for your department that has made things a little bit easier for everybody else? For the data warehousing, we're using a small startup called uh, Insilico Data Solutions, and then um, really tying that into our visualizations with Tableau. But with that, we use a little bit of R, a little bit of Python, and then um, the number one tool that I probably learned from Zep was uh, the presentations uh, PowerPoint, because honestly, that's where you have the chance to sell what you're doing to everybody the most, and that's what people are most familiar with. And that's called PowerPoint? Yes. Got it. Sometimes, sometimes Keynote, but not everybody has a Mac. So, you know. Obviously, you know, for people that work in the business intelligence space, everyone just assumes that Tableau is the end-all, be-all visualization. You know, we use it at the Chiefs. But when you talk about PowerPoint and kind of using that as a medium to communicate, has that been more effective? And, and, and talk me through maybe why that has been effective for you in whatever you're working on. I think it comes down to a couple of things. One is if you've ever been in a meeting, you know that technology will fail if at mm. all possible. So at the very least with a PowerPoint, you can export or even some of the Tableau stories or stuff, you can export to a PDF, print it off, hand it out to everybody. And so really where that's more impactful is some of the higher level meetings, whereas the people that I see that'll be asking the questions about the data, the day-to-day -day stuff, when I'm working with our partnerships research people or our marketing people, like I'll go to them with the Tableau reports, but when it's higher level, usually keep it to PowerPoint or whatever else, with the exception of a few high level reports that are updating daily or weekly or so on. It's almost like you have to work to understand your audience to then determine what the best medium is to um, connect with them to further the mission, right? I think we talk about this as like communication, especially from a business intelligence 
is super impactful and figuring out the best way to communicate to the right person might be one way over another. And so I think that's really important and kind of a, a, a good point that you bring up there. Yeah, absolutely. So Tyler, one thing that I know FC Cincinnati is really well known for was filling their stadium. Um, I believe sellouts every single time in that first inaugural year with the MLS. Imagine a lot of opportunity to do uh, data collection from purchases in stadium to the ticket uh, journey that goes on. Obviously with COVID, it's a little bit different to collect the data from fans, but if you're very data heavy at FC Cincinnati, I'm curious, what have you found to be the best methods to still collect data and insights about the fans uh, when you can't get as much in stadium as you would do normally? I think that comes back to how are you engaging them in the marketing space and interacting and talking with your fans. And it really allows you to go back to your content strategy and measure, okay, are we giving them what they want? What makes them want to engage with us? Especially when you're dealing in a team situation where maybe you're not winning a Super Bowl or going to the playoffs or those pieces. Like, how do you engage them so that way they're getting their voice out there, but they're actually able to get to know the players or whatever that value is. And so that's really some of the stuff we focused on, like early spring through the initial start of COVID. We did a whole content strategy analysis to look at like, okay, are we doing stuff like our post-game reports where our talking heads of the um, comms team are sitting there reviewing the game? Like, how does that do compared to if we just post a graphic recap in some of those other areas and we're able to streamline and look at that? That's great, Tyler. I appreciate that. Let's switch gears. Are there any projects you're working on right now that you're especially excited about? Obviously, aside from the new stadium and all the marketing analytics and everything we're going from through there, the biggest project I think I was excited to start when I came on board was um, what we're calling the fan panel, which okay. is basically we're working with the University of South Carolina to replicate uh, Scarborough or UGov, whatever syndicated research, yep. to get that first party data from our fans. And really, that helps a lot with not only our partnerships, but stuff around the game day experience and really getting to know, because I'm sure as you both are familiar, the syndicated researchers' limitations and local partners, as well as how do they define a fan, mm -hmm. where you see like uh, somebody who's watched Tend to Listen, for us, could be a Columbus Crew fan in the Cincinnati area, but we're not differentiating. But we imagine that our partnerships has a stronger story when we look at uh, our actual fans versus something that may be mixed. So the fact that we're able to get that and then tie it back to attendance or some of the other stuff really helps us when trying to tell the story with our partnerships. Can you expand on what's entailed with a fan panel? What types of questions are asked? How much of a commitment do the participants need to agree to? So basically, when you send out a survey, um, I think it's been on about every month, month and a half or so, where it goes out to fans, again, similar to what you'd see with Scarborough or YouGov or other syndicated research, we're just asking our fans directly. And basically we offer an incentive such as a chance to win a jersey or two tickets to a game next year. And basically we have fans go and respond to that. And we see what we get. And so far we've averaged like several hundred each time we've gone through, which has been decent. And when you look at it for us, at least in a small market in comparison to Scarborough, I want to say that Watch Attend Listen has like 400 fans in our area that they identify that has done that. Whereas so far, I think with this next iteration, we'll end up about 3,500 respondents for the year. So the fact that we're able to get much more data as well as go in deep, like 
the last iteration, we went and asked about CPGs for one of our potential partners and looking at that and asking people about what toilet paper do you regularly buy? And they're actually answering that. It, oddly enough, is super helpful when trying to communicate that back, especially because you're getting to an age where you see a lot of partners shift towards, okay, how do we prove our ROI with this sports sponsorship? And with this, even though it's not something like receipts level data collection, at least gets us a step closer. So they're not just going after us for digital assets or whatever else. We're able to prove even stuff on broadcast or in arena signage. And really the experiential activations too, provided we have a normal season and can have those events. What you just described sounds like a lot of work for a one-person business intelligence department. Yeah, so the big thing is we're working with the University of South Carolina. They established a center for research um, for sports and entertainment. And basically, this had come from talking with one of the professors there for a few years about all the stuff we saw wrong with the surveying and that stuff. And the problem is if you're a team and you take this in-house completely and you try to sell it to your partners, well, they'll go and say like, well, look, you're doing this research yourselves. Of course, it's going to be a good story. But if you go to university, you at least have PhD level unbiased. It's still going through the IRB and those components. So when they get it back and say we're talking to Coke or something, they have their own PhD researchers on staff. We're now able to take this to them and say, hey, we had our own PhD staff look at this. And these are full-time professors. They're not students, GAs, whatever. Full-time professors analyzing this, getting us the results, asking the questions, and able to go back to them and say, hey, look, here's what we found. What is the rough cadence that you're expecting to do? I, th I think you mentioned this, but are you doing it once a month? Is it kind of the intent to do it once a quarter? So we run this about every four to six weeks. This obviously being the first year, um, once we get through this next batch come December, we're going to sit down, evaluate, look at the rotation of different categories and those other components and see what makes the most sense moving forward. But the idea is to at least get some sort of measurement for every partner on a quarterly basis. And the main reason is because Scarborough updates twice a year, and it's usually a year lag behind. And then YouGov is coming and pitched like, hey, look, we're doing this every week, right? Even though it's a smaller sample, we're doing this every week, so you can start to see some metrics. But what seems to make the most sense as far as pre, mid, postseason, and then off season is that quarterly cadence. So we anticipate that that's what we'll move towards. What you guys are doing, that's awesome. Like your, sale, like your sales team must love this, or activation team must love this, right? Yeah, and really where it pays dividends, and one of the things I learned working at the Hornets was when you're in a smaller market, you have to be as smart as you can to compete. I don't know if you have the same flexibility with YouGov to add in questions, but that's been the one nice thing of this is if we go and run an iteration and then all of a sudden our partners come up and say, hey, we need to know about this, then we can go and add it in and it's not a big deal. We just either look at the survey length and say, okay, we need to remove another category out of rotation, or we put it in and hope we get a few hundred respondents and it's sizable enough to make initial inferences. That's great. I think it's awesome because then it allows you to almost have more regional and smaller brands that might not be on a national following and really get the understanding at a local level to how it is impacting because sometimes those brands, albeit smaller, um, need to buy into the, need to have data to help them buy into the sponsorship works and here's how it's working value proposition. Yeah. And I mean, there's stuff that like, I think it takes an act of Congress to add a question to Scarborough or a brand or something. But basically one of the things I found at the Hornets was like, they didn't even have lending tree in any of their questions. And that was our Jersey patch partner. So it's just, how are you missing national brands like that? They're spending a ton in college sports there. I think they just partnered with Clemson. 
and they're still not in any Scarborough questions. So, and it's, it's because Scarborough was built for media buying and wasn't looked at as a specific tool for sports. They just realized, hey, we ask sports questions, let's brand it and sell it as a sports thing. And then YouGov came in and said, hey, we solve your timing issue. And then really for us, it was, well, we need to solve timing, but we also need to ask our fans directly. So we own the data and also we can look at it any which way we want to. Remind me again how this is being distributed. The two approaches we have is one, we send it directly to our database and do have that access. So we know it's our fans that have been to games, et cetera. And then the other side of it is to still get that market comparison. We are sending mm-hmm. out through enter to get the market results and everything else. And the one thing we did after the first three iterations, I want to say, is we ended up asking people, hey, what's your favorite MLS team? Because one of the questions that came up is if somebody's watching or attending as a fan of another game, does that influence their likelihood to buy that brand's product? So there are certain questions that we'll be able to answer as we get more of this data and go back and look. And then, of course, when you go back to the experiential campaigns at the game and the end venue signage and those pieces, we'll be able to answer those questions next year. Very nice. Well, I'm excited to see how that evolves over the coming years. We'll bring you on on the five-year anniversary to discuss. So that said, let's bring this interview on home. We always like to end our interviews the same way, which is by starting off with a quote from Charlie Tremendous Jones, which is that you will be the same person five years from now as you are today, except for the books you read and the people you meet. So that said, Tyler, what is a book you might recommend to our listeners or a piece of advice you received from a professional that would help them out in the next five years? The two books that come to mind right now are probably Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, which really just outlines some of the stuff about how to tell a story and then really how to make your brand tell that story because people really remember a lot more when it's something that's in that story format. And then when the other book I would say is Hugging Your Customers by Jack Mitchell, which really talks about the data-driven approach to personalizing that experience. So it's not just this creepy big brother mindset of, hey, we know this about you. Here's an ad or something. It's really how do you personalize that sales approach? Love Hug Your Customer. That was a great that was a great book that I, I read and uh, really helpful from a hospitality on the sweet servicing side when I was doing that. Great book. Great, great choice. I've, I'm not familiar with uh, building a story brand, but uh, I'll add that to my list. Yeah, it's a nice short read. It's something like 200, 250 pages. It's really easy to get through and just makes a lot of common sense things that you know, but just putting in a format that makes sense. And here's your formula for success when looking at this marketing approach. Thanks for the recommendation. Those will be added to the show notes. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, He is the Director of Business Intelligence for FC Cincinnati, Tyler Franz. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Armand and Will. Really enjoyed being on. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. We'll be back again in two weeks with the Director of Strategy for the Philadelphia Flyers, Davey Chadwick. See you then.